such a great song. Such a good song. Gotta love Willow Smith. She's just amazing. That whole family is just amazing. They really are. They really are. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining. I'm Dr. Trish Ramprasad, the core behavioral psychologist. And today we have Jose Andres Camacho. He's the founder of Rise Creative Consulting and social media manager for Oracle Advertising and CX. He has over five years of experience in social media marketing and executive ghostwriting for B2B and B2C Fortune 500 brands. He is also a contributor to brand storytelling called Put Customers at the Heart of Your Brand Story by Miri Rodriguez. You can also follow Jose on Twitter at the Jose Camacho and follow him on LinkedIn as well. Welcome, Jose. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Trish. It's such a pleasure to be on. I'm so happy to have you. Me and Jose know each other from uh, a previous church we used to attend. Um, and we, we um, yeah, and Jose was really kind. My aunt um, passed away, unfortunately, due to um, COVID and cancer and stuff. And that was um, Auntie Vida. And Jose was in Florida and he was kind enough to come to the hospital to pray with my family and, and over her. So thank you so much, Jose. I appreciate it. You're totally welcome. It's my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we're going to get right to it. Why don't you tell us where you're from? Yeah, so I'm originally from South Florida. Um, actually, that's where I'm at now. I'm, I'm in a small beach town called Deerfield Beach. And um, I actually grew up 20 minutes from here in, in a suburb called Coral Springs, Florida. And um, so I guess the, the short of it is I'm the, the firstborn of three kids from two immigrant parents. My parents are originally from, my mom is from Venezuela and my dad is from Costa Rica. And they uh, immigrated to the US in the eighties and basically met in Miami and they got married. Um, and uh, long story short, they moved to California for work. And then they had me, I was born in California in Southern California. And then before I turned one, I moved down to South Florida where I was raised and um, then my parents had my siblings and I basically was there for most of my uh, um, young uh, childhood life and adult life uh, up until recently. Uh, the only time I moved away from uh, California or sorry from Florida mm -hmm. is when I moved to Washington DC to uh, for a semester to, to do an unpaid internship at the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute as a marketing communications intern. And I was part of a program there called the Washington Center. It's a great program, highly recommend it. it. It changed my life. And it's basically a nonprofit that gets students from all over the world, some of the best students from all over the world as well, and place them in internships where they would live and work in DC. And that so, is I, I, isn't that great? Yeah, it's That's a great so program. I never heard, so, I actually I haven't heard of that program. That's awesome. It's a great program. I highly recommend it. I have a lot of good friends that I made there and some people on the faculty on there as well. So um, uh, when I finished that, prog that program, uh, it was a semester long. I came back and finished school. I, um, and I, I was in my senior year at Florida International University, Miami, and I was majoring in international relations and national security studies. And my original plan was actually to go work for the intelligence community. Mm -hmm. I was really interested in CIA, um, DIA, and just different um, uh, different agencies in the intelligence community and 
was looking at the State Department, which is part of the reason I wanted to move to DC and live there for a little bit, just to get a feel for it. And I did get to tour the White House and the the, the State Department, all that stuff. Um, and I, I guess the the part of my story where things changed for me was in my senior year. I had a, a I heard I was already speaking with um, recruiters from the CIA. They I had kind of developed a networking relationship with them. They were coming down to FIU and trying to recruit students to, to apply. Right. And uh, I was one of the students that they were meeting with regularly, regularly. And basically in my senior year of college, I had one more meeting with them and they were like, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and apply. And so I applied and um, didn't hear back for months. It was gonna be like a year long process, but I wasn't expecting much of it. And then during that summer of that year, I had met a really good family friend and mentor of mine that's still a close mentor of mine today. Mm-hmm. And she had basically said, um, you know, she, she would be happy to mentor me and coach me in my career. And so meanwhile, she, she didn't know that I had already applied for the CIA. It was supposed to be kind of a secret to keep between your close friends and family right. I, due to the nature of the job. And the CIA got back to me. Yeah. And they said they wanted to interview me. So I thought, you know, why not tap into this resource I have who is willing to coach me in her career? She's had a very successful career herself. And um, she she offered to connect me with someone in her network that was an ex-KGB spy turned citizen. Yeah, he has a crazy story. His name is Jack Barsky. He's a published author. He's Mm -hmm. a counterintelligence analyst for... Uh, major news publications like MSNBC and CNN, and and he's written his own book called Deep Undercover. His, it's basically about his life as a like a, a covert Soviet spy um, in the 80s, and basically was recruited by the KGB, which is the Russian Soviet counterpart to the CIA. And they basically um, they basically recruited him because he, he was a very intelligent and successful biochemist and he liked the adventure of the job and the, the kind of the, the status that comes with it and he was kind of thrown into living this double life with his mission and his assignment overseas and he basically came to the U.S. in the 80s and started over again in, in New York he basically just got an apartment got fake documents got a library card and he tells the story in his book about how he basically after years of kind of lying to everybody, he eventually wanted to stay in the U.S. and um, the Russians were telling him to come back at some point because his cover was, they, they had um, reason to be known that his cover might have been blown. And so- Whoa, holy crap, this is amazing. I was not yeah. expecting this. Yes, this so is a, it's a really good story. And it, it, it's gonna tie back into- Right, I can't, I, would, I wanna hear, this is like intriguing. <laughs> so he- um, he he basically wanted to stay in the U.S. He he liked his life in the U.S. He didn't seem like he didn't see a reason to go back to. Um, now at the time it was Russia or before at the time it was it was East Germany, but then the Berlin Wall fell and then they were telling him to come back to Russia. So um, he made up some story about him having AIDS because at the time the treatment for AIDS was very little, didn't have much, um, and Russians were de- they didn't know how to deal with it. They were definitely afraid of AIDS at the time. So they were just like, okay, you stay there, get your treatments and, you know, just lay low. And so he tried to lay low for many years and had a family. And um, he didn't realize at the time that the FBI was really onto him. They went as far as moving into the house next door to him with a male, female agent right. to make it 
He might have recovered and spun on him from like the house next door for months. And they eventually arrested him. And he actually got off pretty easy because he was very, he was very um, uh, compliant. He actually was very, uh, he, he, he worked very well with them to give him a lot of information that, uh, that they needed, the FBI needed to understand how the, the Soviet spies work, how their program works, who, who are the type of people they, they want to recruit. And so because of that, they didn't promise that they would do this, but they eventually, um, or they didn't guarantee this, but they eventually um, uh, gave him U.S. citizenship. They gave him a path to get U.S. citizenship and let him keep his, his alias, his name, his fake name called Jack Barsky because he had been using it for so much, so long and okay. they had to give him real documents. His real name was like Ilya Vekchev or something from, um, from uh, East Germany. Okay. And um, anyways, long story short, he um, got U.S. citizenship he became a Christian. He actually um, gave his life to Christ, which is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And um, he wrote a book about his experience. Um, and Miri, my, this mentor I was um, mentioning before, yep. she, was helping, uh, she was helping him promote his new book in terms of uh, by, by refining his personal brand. And so because um, Jack was a client of Miri's, she was gracious enough to connect me with Jack. And I, I had like a 30 minute phone call with Jack. That's amazing. And that phone call changed my life. What was that? That's amazing. Holy crap. I know it is. Amazing. You never know what connections can like who God brings in your life through other people and through your mentors. So yeah, continue. Yeah. yeah so, so, um, that, I mean, like I said earlier, that, that 30 minute phone call changed my life. Um, we spoke on the phone and he was basically, he effectively talked me out of joining the CIA because of how much lying I would need to do to people. Like I'd be lying to myself. I'd be lying to my, my own family. I'd be lying to everyone about what I do for work. Mm -hmm. And I, that was something I've already considered going into it, but there was something different in, in what he, in, in his lived experience and how he talked about it from, from like a regretful point of view mm -hmm. um, and how it kind of brought a little, a little bit of a misery and um, regret to his life. Um, he basically said he doesn't recommend it. And I took that recommend, recommendation to heart. I, I think I was like laughing nervously right. during the phone call because that's this is kind of what I do when I'm uncomfortable. And yeah. he was like, this is, you know, this is not a laughing matter. I'm actually quite serious. Like, I don't recommend this for you. And, um, you know, I hope you consider it. And so I got off the phone with him. I said, thank you so much for your time, Jack. Appreciate you got off the phone, called Miri up and said, Hey, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what, what happened? Like, tell me about the phone call. Tell me why. Um, and I basically uh, told her how the call went. And I said, look, I, I had a very clear, like um, logical uh, conversation in my head. I was like, if I play the tape to the end in terms of what my career path can look like with the CIA or what could happen if I decide to go down this route, I just know deep down inside that I'm going to be forced to at one point or another, whether it's 20 years in my career or five years on in my career or a year into it, I might be forced to choose between serving my country in this way through their, their intelligence apparatus or um, serving what I believe would be my God in the way that he would want me to live my life. And, and I didn't want to be put in that position. I don't, I, I think in some ways people were put in that position in smaller, much, much smaller, more kind of insignificant ways. Mm 
right. every day. But this is a big thing where it could affect like my soul, my family, my relationships. And it just, it wasn't worth the adventure and the risk reward. It wasn't worth it for me as much as a, a young 20, uh, early 20 something year old would want that kind of level of responsibility and adventure. It, it seemed intriguing to me at the time. If, if I used a little bit of wisdom, I just wouldn't like what position I'm, I may, I may just be put in, in the future. And that wasn't enough. That wasn't worth it for me. So she's like, okay, well, what do you want to do now? And I said, you know, I think, I think I want to go into tech. And she's like, okay, why do you want to go into tech? And I was like, tech is um, an industry that is only growing right now. And its platform is not going anywhere anytime soon. And that level of responsibility is similar or more important than I would, in my opinion, than the, 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 the spy craft for the United States. And the reason I think that is because tech is, is the new like cyber warfare, you know, like digital spying, all that stuff is like, it's huge right now. And it's, yeah. it's probably, it's not gonna go away. And so my thinking is, I wanna get into this industry because it has the same level or even bigger level of responsibility than what, what I thought spying or the intelligence community had originally. So. And now that's with my, I say that with a grain of salt because I obviously haven't been in, in a career with the CIA or any, any intelligence community, but I just have enough wisdom to know that like, okay, well, tech is not going anywhere anytime soon and its level of responsibility, the way the impact it has on our lives, the level of, of impact it has on our daily lives is, is um, incredible. So um, she's like, all right, well, let's get you into the tech. Let's get you into tech. And yeah. so- I, um, uh, we spent the next five months or so just kind of revamping my resume, you know, just completely rebranding myself in terms of how I was originally positioning right. myself when I was interviewing with, with folks and basically where I am today. It's so funny to see where I am today because it would just start with an idea of like, okay, let's just go into tech. Right. And it seems like it's so like happenstance, but it was very intentional in terms of how I worked with with different mentors to completely rebrand myself and within five months I had a um a uh an interview with I was interviewing with different tech companies but I got an opportunity with Adobe and within five months I was picking up my stuff and packing up and moving from South Florida to San Jose California where Adobe's headquarters were right and um, I spent two years my first two years of my career um there establishing myself in tech and and um, it kind of just led to where I am today. Now, the rest is sort of history. That's just, that's an amazing story, Jose. First of all, you said no to the CIA because you didn't want to compromise your soul yeah. and all the lying as a Christian you would have to do. Um, and then you, then it just geared you towards tech, but it's not like tech fell into your lap, you know? Yeah, it's exactly that. It's, um, yeah. it was, so it, it seems like, like looking forward, it, it could be like, it kind of happened by accident, but I don't, I don't see it that way. I see it as it was, it's almost very intentional how all this stuff, it, it kind of guided me in the right direction. Yes. And I liked what you said too, about you were intentional about finding a mentor. Mm -hmm. um, can you say more about that? Because there's some listeners I'm sure who want to get into tech and, mm -hmm. and there, I know some people want mentors and ask around for mentors. How, how would you go about finding the right mentor for, for yourself? Yeah, um, 
So I, I guess that brings me back to Washington, D.C. And I would say that experience in Washington, D.C., not just because I was working, but because um, of the skills I learned, the soft skills that I learned there yeah. changed my life. I would say that was more important to me than my four-year education. And yeah. here's why. Um, part of the, the responsibilities that we had, we had classes that we needed to take while we were there. We weren't just working and going right. back to our, our apartments. Or dorms, we we were we had like um like a like an academic class that we would take, and then we would take a like a leadership type of course where they would assign us um kind of internship projects and and different different um they would give us like tours to, to different parts of the city, um different uh, we would get access to uh, museums or um, organizations that like are nonprofits there, non government NGOs that are there in, in D.C. that we wouldn't otherwise get access to and get tours to. And so one of the um, assignments that we had for that class was conducting it during our, our semester long there, we had to conduct two informational interviews in the city and it can't be with anyone within your immediate network. It can't be someone who you work with. It can't be like anyone in your company. It has to be someone outside your network that you weren't, you didn't know already. You, you can ask people in your network who are right now who they would recommend you speaking to, but you have to go out there and basically get 30 minutes of their time if they would be willing to share it. You take them out for coffee um, and ask them about their career. Kind of like how you're asking me about my, right. my story. I'm, yep. I'm asking them for their story and how did they get to be where they are now. And you'd be, you'd be surprised how many people are willing to share their insights because in some some ways, depending on who you ask, they kind of arrived to where they wanted to be. Right. And maybe they don't see it that way. But for someone who was like in college, is like, oh my gosh, you're like 20 years into your career and you work for the in the White House. Like, how did you do that? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's exactly what I did. I, I had a, an informational interview with the policy uh, policy advisor to the administrator of FEMA. So he's like the second in command almost. He advises the head of FEMA. And it was just supposed to be a, a like five to 15 minute conversation. And we ended up speaking for like an hour, just after hours. Oh, oh, sorry, that's my dog, guys. I'm not <laughs> editing that because it's always good. <laughs> Go um, so he ended up. Um, so, so yeah, we, we ended up uh, meeting and speaking for like an hour after after office hours right. um, at, in the lobby of FEMA in Washington, D.C. Um, and that, so that was really cool. He spoke about leadership and kind of like, like what his philosophy is on it. And we had a lot of similar um, like leadership philosophies already, but that was, that conversation was great. And then the second one I, I got through a, like an aunt who used to work, who used to live and work in DC has a, her best friend who still works for the NIH. And I asked her best friend, hey, who do you recommend I interview? And she's like, let me see if we can get you this person. And she got me basically um, uh, a 30 minute coffee chat with um, the, at the time it was the, the, the project lead, the program, project and program lead for the Precision Medicine Initiative at the, the Barack Obama White House. And so um, we, oh we God, got coffee so at Pete's Coffee across the street from the White House, like on 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. And it was just that kind of experience as someone who's still in college who, like yeah. it just you know you seem like you're like who am I to get these these people to, to give 30 minutes of the time from you know to give the glean insights from right. they were willing to do this to me because they saw a genuine like a genuine want to learn from these folks and so I say that those stories because 
the the way I found my ment my all my mentors, including the one including Miri, is applying that same thinking, that same those same learnings from DC to South Florida. And uh, when I moved back, that's that's how I met Miri. Miri was announcing at the time she was getting promoted with Microsoft and she was moving out to their headquarters in Washington. She was moving across the country with her family. And um, I wanted to catch her basically before she left. We never really had like any sort of like a friend relationship before that. We just knew each other's acquaintances, but I people were congratulating her on her LinkedIn posts and, and I was congratulating her too. And I said, hey, we'd love to learn more about your story, how you got to, how you basically got to this promotion. Um, would you be up for like uh, coffee sometime soon or something? And she she said she DM me and she messaged me and we made it happen. But um, that that's just one story. But that that happens every day for people who ask for it. And so my for your listeners who are looking for new mentors, you have to ask for 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 one on one time. You also have to come prepared um, before meeting Jack or before the phone call with Jack, I had read his book as prep work beforehand. Like I didn't want to come like asking him the basic questions about, oh, tell me about your CIA you know, story. I already knew his story. I already knew what he's been through. I wanted to learn deeper insights about, okay, he's uh, he's telling me now he, he doesn't recommend this. Why does he not recommend this? I know his story. I know what he's been through. But given all that, what's the deeper driving factor? What's the deeper regret? What's the deeper learning that he has that I wouldn't have because I didn't live his life? And that's that can apply to anyone. That's so good. So I love that story. So you learned a lot of soft skills from the um, the, the position in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and also get to know people's backgrounds mm-hmm. before you meet with them. Yes. And it's because you sh- it shows interest and stuff, too, right? Yeah, hundred percent. You you want to do you want to show up prepared. You want to show up like you actually and and show that you care. You want and it's almost a, it doesn't need to be overt. It doesn't need to be um so clear. It, sometimes it could be subtle, and the people will know like, oh, this person has has done their homework, and they respect you more because you I didn't come that. like, oh, mm-hmm. tell, tell me about what you do, this and that. Like those are quite great. Those are okay questions. Right. But the deeper questions would be like, hey, I saw you left this industry and you went to the White House. Exactly. What yeah. made you what made you leave, you know, tech industry to go into in the into the public sector? Yes, because there's always a story behind it, a personal mm-hmm. one at that too. And exactly. yours is, yeah, and yours is very personal too, because it's like you're you're a Christian, your relationship with God, it would compromise who you are. And then it took you on to this journey. But I think yeah. with the right mentors at hand, they also helped guide you, which is really exactly. good. That's pretty amazing. People are going to be like, whoa, you said no to the CIA. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so now we understand yeah. this story. Let me ask you this. What is, what is your family think? You being a first-generation American, you know, and being tricultural, really, because your because co- your parents are Costa Rican and Venezuelan and and you're American, what's that like? For, what do they think about all of this and your um, come up, so to speak? You know, it's so funny. Um, I almost value their come up more because I'm standing on their shoulders. I love that. So I, I tell my dad and my mom more this every day because I'm seeing it as I get older. Like, I can't imagine leaving my home country at early, my early 20s and just starting over with $1,800 in my pocket no no documents no nothing just like figuring it out yeah. um like i if you look at it through that lens i had a very easy i had a lot of privilege 
Um, but I also I also don't take that privilege for granted. Right. I also I I applied myself in min, as many opportunities as I could that made sense to me. If I cared about it, if I was passionate about it, I would exploit that opportunity as much as I can. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because my parents taught me to do that. Right. I think part of that is also my own ambition. That's what right. maybe when I get that from my parents, I also get that it's part of my personality. Right. Um, and you, you realize that not everyone's like that. Um, some people, they get handed everything and they don't feel the need to go um, like challenge themselves and push, push pack, push the boundary further. Yeah. Um, and I've seen other people who had less than me, much less than me, go further in life in terms of um, career aspirations and like family welfare and um, success and wealth. So it, it depends on, I really think it depends on how much you're willing to dream and sacrifice. Um, I had some big dreams from when I was in college that I would work in some sort of capacity that's that's not it's not not everyone has access to um boardrooms that not everyone would be in right. and um like working on, on special projects that that only select few are trusted with and what i see now is at my time at adobe a time my time here at oracle i'm working on projects that require a specialized skill set and that require a lot of responsibility like i'm i'm as a social media manager i'm dealing with accounts that can make or break a PR image. Like if, if something gets Absolutely. out on these accounts that's not on brand or you know, God forbid something that's it's not, it's it was by accident or whatever, that that takes a lot of responsibility. It's 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 a lot, there's a lot of rules in one social media role. And so in some ways I'm already I say that because I'm already living the life that I wanted. And but I'm also I, I have still bigger dreams and aspirations to attain. Right. Um, and and uh, I made a lot of sacrifices also to get there. Um, for, I think one example, one story is like, there are some of my friends and in, in, while, while I was in college who we kind of grew up in high school together, they college maybe wasn't their thing, which is fine. It's not for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, they started working like full-time jobs um, instead of going to college, which, you know, teaches own, that's fine. Right. But I see them now, they're kind of starting out where I already, I, I'm already past that, if that makes any right. sense. So, they, it makes so uh, sense. yeah, like they're, they're either thinking about going back to college or they are taking jobs that I've took when I was in, in, in college because they were internships or something. Right. And, and because they're trying to change their career, they're trying to change their, which is good. I, I, I'm encouraging that. But yeah. do you see that it's, there's a difference in, um, if you have the means, you could have gone to college when you were younger instead of, you know, right. um, paying, you know, paying, uh, you, you could have basically made less money in the past when in college, because I was working part-time jobs. I wasn't making much money. My focus was school right. for other people. It's like, they can't sacrifice that. They rather just make the money, um, immediately. So you got to make some short-term sacrifices for a long-term gain in the future. Exactly. That's so good. Short-term sacrifices for long-term gain. And I think with COVID, um, some of us work from home remotely. That's a privilege. So mm -hmm. some of your friends and some people out there are like, wait a second, I need to take a second, a step back and really think about, oh, maybe I should go back to school and, and do these things. So that in <laughs> itself is a privilege as, as well. And everyone yeah. has their own race to run their own path, you know? You exactly. Can, yeah.
but you guys are still friends, which is good. It's oh yeah, yeah. And it's, it's <laughs> and the thing is, I don't want to make it a generalization because right. people can't afford to go to college. They don't have. I had the privilege of my parents having Florida prepaid, where they've been saving up for college since the day before the before I was born. Right. So not everyone has that that luxury or that privilege. Like it's, it was a sacrifice for my parents too, but they, they, I appreciate them that they, they put college as a priority for us from the very beginning and kind of instilled in us like, Hey, we're already paying for this. So you, you shouldn't have in your mind that you're going to be going to a four-year university when you graduate high school and you're going to graduate from a four-year university. So I respect that for my parents. They, they were already yeah. setting expectations for better or for worse. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think I'm better because of it. So I love um, it. Yeah. Yeah. My family did the same thing too. You're going to college. <laughs> that was it. That was it. I, I feel you with um my parents sacrificed a lot too. So I totally feel you with that. Um and you moved across the country and I think that's grow you grow too as an individual. When you when you were in the White House, when you were working there, did you get to meet the president or anyone? Or no, 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 I didn't get to meet the president. And I didn't I didn't work I at the White House. I worked I worked like four blocks um, from the White House near it, actually. But um, I had friends that worked in the White House and they would give me tours and stuff. And we would go there for work sometimes. Like our, our nonprofit would um, work with the Obama administration at the time. And we would work with them for Latino initiatives, at the, um, right. and all that stuff. Yes, yeah. yes. That's still awesome. I actually saw Oracle's page, the social media page on LinkedIn. And if you guys get to check it out, you had like over 14,000 views. And I'm like... Go Jose, this is amazing. So God really did have like this awesome plan for you, like yeah. saying no to the CIA, but bringing it to the right person to speak to. All of that is yeah. just amazing. Yeah. Um, so if someone wants to get into tech or like Adobe or Oracle or what have you, or even get into social media marketing or what have you, what's one of the things you would tell them to start off with? I would say... I think the first question to ask yourself is why you want to go into tech. That's the first question. Do some deep introspection and figure out, am I doing this because it looks cool? Am I doing this because other people have asked me to and that's their expectations on me? Or am I doing this because I really want to be there? It's the right industry for me. And um, the, the good thing about tech is that it's, it's much wider in terms of career opportunities than most people think. They think it's just for... I think most people think it's just for software developers and, no, and, and no, nerds no. and that stuff. And it's like, it's more than that. It's, it's, there's so much to do in tech. There's sales, there's marketing, there's PR, there's legal. There's um, for some campuses are so big, they have their own nurses on staff. Right. You know, so, telehealth. I'm in telehealth. Yeah. Yeah. Tele exactly. So, mm -hmm. so um, I would say first do some introspection. Why do you want to do this? And if you think, the the intentions are right for you you're not doing this for the wrong reasons then 100 percent commit to it and by committing to it you are interviewing um people who have successful tech careers and at least five to ten years in um you are re, you're rebranding yourself as best as you can to be a tech um tech xyz so if it's your marketing you're a tech marketer if you're in sales you're you you're an aspiring sales professional or a bdr or whatever it is um and and you're you're understanding the the business the landscape um tech is very like i said very wide so just because it's, it's in tech it could yeah. be financial tech and so you have to understand how regulated the financial industry is it could be medical device tech 
which okay. you just have to understand how regulated the medical device industry is. Yeah. What's um, BDR, by the way? BDR is um, a business development representative. It's like a starting okay. kind of starting position for sales. Okay. And, and most most sales folks um, who are starting in tech start kind of around BDR. Okay. And rebranding yourself. Can you give a quick example of rebranding yourself? Yeah. Um, so when I was working with Miri on this, mm -hmm. she was she kind of we we went through we went through my resume. Clean it, clean, completely revamped it. She gave me an example of a good one. I think it was hers actually. And she, she's like, take this and start typing away and, and we'll work on it together. We had like probably 20 different, 15 to 20 different re revisions on it. I'm still editing it today. Like it's, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. Right. Um, what else? What else? So we, we, we redid my resume, LinkedIn completely overhauled. Um, Mm -hmm. We we made sure that we had a list of companies that I wanted to apply for. We made sure that I was looking every day. I had I had my uh, alerts, um, and and essentially basically like just did my research and just and always always looked to see what roles were open. I interviewed network. It goes back to um, networking too. Like you have to do informational interviews. It, it do an informational interview with no strings attached. In terms of looking for a job like you can say that you are looking for a job but you can just say hey this is just an informal informational conversation i'm not okay. it's not to interview for anything but it's to get your word your name out it's one thing that um uh the the, the policy advisor to the head of fema yeah. he taught me that he's like when he was looking he went from like the private business world to the public sector to he wanted to work on the hill right and so he kind of had like an echo chamber approach where he would go and just he would calculate how many cups of coffee he needs to do for the next six months and take people out to speak to them so that he can get his name around the city around dc yeah and so that people know like oh when they hear that name they're like oh i recognize that name i know who that's from and it, it's because more familiar yeah. that this person is looking for a great job in the in on the hill on capitol hill i think that same approach can apply to, to any industry not just tech so right, exactly yeah yeah, you, so you want to make, yeah, make sure your reputation is a good one. Exactly. <laughs> word, exactly. Word gets around. What's next for you? I know you have your own consulting business. What's next for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, truthfully, right now, I'm just focused on, uh, so um, my fiance and I are, we're about to get married. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you so much. At the time of this uh, recording, it'd be like three months from now. Awesome. And so truthfully, I, I, I'm in a place in my career where I'm, I'm kind of sticking down to what I have right now for the long haul. And I'm focusing more, and this is going to sound like anti-career advice, but I'm focusing more on life outside of work than I am at work right now. So good. So what's next for me is focusing on enjoying my, my marriage and enjoying like being newlyweds and just, um, being like figuring that out and being a family. Uh, that's what I'm most concerned about right now. I think with the pen, you spoke about the pandemic and yeah. the, great, the great resignation and how people has their eyes have opened up to like the fragility, the fragility of life and how it yeah. can just be so fleeting. And you have to ask yourself tough questions. Like, am I doing, am I living the life, not just forget work, like, yeah, am I living the yeah. life that I want to be living? And uh, if there's anything that taught, that taught me that, 
um, I kind of already knew this before the pandemic, but it reinforced it during the pandemic is, yeah, um, you know, it, it, as, as much as it, as it hurts to say this, if you were to drop dead, mm -hmm. the company that you're working at would replace you in yes. maybe two weeks. You are replaceable. People you are replaceable. Needs to, this needs to resonate. Yes. Your job is not your life. <laughs> exactly. They will and get so, rid of you in a heartbeat. I know. And, and you know, I, I, I don't think all companies are like that in the sense they're, they're quick to get rid of you. No. Maybe, uh, unless you deserve it, you probably won't get fired easily. And, right. it and it's, it depends on the company too, the company culture. Right, right. But, but if you if it were if something were to seriously happen to you where you couldn't work and they needed someone to fill the role, they're gonna have to do. They're gonna look out for their business and they're gonna fill the role. It's and it's nothing. It's nothing personal. It's it's kind of like how the the world works. And once you realize that, you focus. You you're okay. You make less apologies for focusing on yourself and your well being. Yeah. And even financially, you look for other ways to make money. And just so you don't have one source of income, single source of income, right. you look for ways to invest to start your own business. Um, and it, you look out in a deeper way and, and in not in a superficial way or like a, in a spiteful or bitter way, but you look out in a, in a morally right way, a good way to look out for yourself, look out for your own well-being, look out for you and your family first and what you and your family care about. Yeah. And to answer your question, Trish, that's where I am in my life right now. It's yeah. not so much of like, oh, I need to get this job. And no. I want to make this much money. Like I do, we do have as a family, my, my fiance and I, we do have goals for the year, how much we want to make and what, where we want to go, et cetera. But I think at a deeper level, we're not so tied. Right. To work. We're, we're tied to the life that we want, right. we want for ourselves. And I think that's a big revelation that most people need to have because they think that if they get the right job, they'll be happy. But I've been there before. I had a great job with a great team, right. great friends, a great circle around me. And I was still depressed because I, I felt like either I was alone or um, I got everything I wanted and it wasn't as nice as I, I thought it would be. It's, there's different reasons for that. Um, and you had to, you had to find and define that for yourself, what that, what that um, happiness looks like, what that joy looks like for you. Yes. That's outside of um, circumstantial fleeting opportunities, work opportunities, money, whatever it is, you, there, it has to be bigger than, than, than Absolutely. you. There has to be a purpose for your life. And it's not just about work. I think you, you mentioned a really great point, Jose, that um, the pandemic really mm -hmm. placed the mirror in front of people's faces to be like, okay, what's important for you? Family, mm -hmm. finding um, a husband, a wife, a partner, a relationship, having babies, having a child, having children. Do I want to mm -hmm. live where I'm living? Do I want to be closer to family? And I think you hit the nail on the head where you want to flourish with your fiance and focus yeah. on your marriage and your future. I think that I think a lot of people are in that both so I'm so like appreciative for you saying that. It's so real. So real. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so yeah. much, Jose, for coming on. Um, I appreciate you. And I can give everyone Jose's contact information. You're a wealth of information full of surprises. And I'm so happy for you and your future. Thank you, so thank, you. thank you for bringing me on. Um, it's a pleasure to, to be here speaking to you. And I hope that um, the folks who are listening today are encouraged to know that like, you know, just because you're steering the ship one way, you can 100% turn around, you can grow, you can learn new things. Um, and I don't think yeah, I just don't think people need to give up on themselves 
so soon. They can 100% steer the ship in a completely different direction if it's not where they want to be heading and align it to what their true goals and aspirations are that are really deep seated in the heart. So yeah. I hope that people take that to heart. I love that. And then do it with joy. Make sure you do feel good about it. You know, exactly. make sure you feel real good and it gives you like invigoration and to just keep going, you know? Yes. Yes. Thanks again. Full of wisdom. I so appreciate you coming on. Everyone, thanks for listening. My name is Dr. Trish Ramprasad, the Court Behavioral Psychologist, and I'll see you guys next time. Bye.